There's a lot to feel good about this Georgia football team as we move forward in the season because there was a moment there. It's like, man, I don't know if Georgia's quite as good. I think they are, and I think the best is yet to come for the Georgia Bulldogs. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is Monday, October 30th, and we hope that you're enjoying the show, whatever you're getting the show, whether that's on the Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ESPN YouTube channel, anywhere where you get your podcasts. If you could, just take a quick second, leave us a rating, leave us a review if you're on the Apple Podcast platform. You could subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're on. And if you're here with us via the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up and Go on and subscribe to ESPN's College Football YouTube channel. We have a great show in store for you today. We have the College Football Playoff rankings coming out tomorrow. We're going to tell you what the top six probably should be, but it's actually a very difficult year to do it, and I'll explain why here in just a minute. And like we do every other Monday, I'm going to give you the 10 takeaways that we got from this past weekend. However... We're going to adjust it just ever so slightly. We're going to pull back just a bit. We're going to go a little bigger picture and give you some takeaways that we have from the month of October. So there are some based on the weekend's results, but there are several that are based on the month's results as we go full speed ahead to the final month of the college football season. Y'all, it's week 10. It's week 10. Let's put a bow on week nine and have some fun. But first, we'll start with the top six from the rankings. The next time we'll be with you guys, we will officially have the college football playoff top six, top 10, top 15, top 25. So we figured at this moment, it'd probably be really appropriate to kind of tell you what we think it's going to look like. And I'm having a very difficult time this year. This year's been really tough when it comes to kind of thinking about how the college football playoff committee is going to sort these teams out because there is a clear discrepancy between the teams that are at the top versus the teams that are right behind them and their resume. We have long always tried to use the balance between both resume and eye test. It's very difficult, though, this year to look at the resumes of Georgia and Michigan and compare them to what we see in the teams that would be ranked 3, 4, 5. Of course, those are the undefeateds. They should make up the top five, whether it's Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, whatever order you end up having them in. It's very interesting to know that the top two teams have very, very average, average in the best possible way. I don't really know how else to describe. I can't put any more lipstick on that pig. Those teams, Michigan and Georgia, haven't beaten anybody. Georgia's best wins have come against three lost teams, against Florida and against Kentucky. And while their schedule strengthens drastically here in the next few weeks with Ole Miss and Missouri and Tennessee, a road trip to Tennessee, as of right now, man, there's really not a whole lot to hang your hat on. So will the committee value eye test and what they're capable of, or will they value the strength of resume? I think they're going to value the eye test. Because when Georgia's had to be good, They've been pretty dang good in the event in which they were threatened a la against Kentucky, a team that was ranked at that point well inside the top 25. They were undefeated at that point, had just destroyed Florida. Well, you look at Georgia and they went out and left no doubt. Same can be said against the game against Florida. They were up 36 to seven at one point in that game, if not for a couple touchdowns there late. For the Florida Gators. I think Georgia's going to be number one. Should they be? That's a different question. I'd be curious to think what you guys think of the matter. I think Michigan will be two. Michigan has looked completely dominant up to this point of the season. No one's even come within striking distance, but we've already acknowledged who their best wins have come against, against Rutgers and against UNLV, right? Those are the best two teams technically that they've played up to this point. Will they be number two? I think they will be just because of the margin of victory. And I know we're not supposed to use previous years as an example when making these rankings. It's not right. Because last time I checked, Jordan Davis and and Jalen Walker and uh, all these other great players that suited up in Georgia Bulldog uniforms, Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan, those guys aren't running through the tunnel. 
for the Wolverines and they're not running through the tunnel for the Bulldogs. So we can't let past years impact our decision-making when assessing these teams, but I think they will. I think George will be one. I think Michigan will be two. At number three, I would expect it to be Ohio State. They have arguably the best resume. And a win at Wisconsin, people will say, well, you know, is that a great win? It's a pretty dang good win. Wisconsin was five and two, and you go to their place and you win the game. I know it wasn't a completely dominant performance, but it was still pretty dang good. And Ohio State was less than stellar in the outing, and yet they still won the game comfortably and taking care of business the way they did. I think Florida State will be four. Florida State at one point had a really, really good resume because the win against Clemson on the road looked great. Well, Clemson's now four and four. They had a good win against Syracuse. Well, Syracuse is now four and four. And while the LSU win remains phenomenal, the others haven't really held up their end of the bargain. So it's not Florida State's fault. They're doing what they need to do. They're winning games convincingly, but I think Ohio State and their wins might hold up just a little bit better than Florida State's, at least at the moment, because Notre Dame looks pretty dang good and improving. And then Penn State, albeit a little bit of a sleepwalk last week, they're still going to be well-respected by the committee. I think Washington will be five. The win against Oregon obviously looks a little bit better with what Oregon did this past weekend. But if you really watch Washington, and we'll talk about them here in a minute, it's not quite as seamless as it was a couple weeks ago. I don't know why that is. Uh, I'm trying to put my finger on it too, but they were looking like gangbusters early on. and It's come back to earth a little bit since the Oregon win. And then I would have Oregon at number six. We're going to talk about this a little bit more as well. How do we kind of shake out the one loss teams? I think Oregon, you can make a case has maybe the best win and the most convincing win with how they dominated Utah on the road. Some people might say, well, Oklahoma has the best win, but Oklahoma wasn't quite as dominant against Texas as the Ducks were against the Utes. So we'll talk about that here in just a minute as well. So that's how I'd have them. That's how I think the committee's going to have them. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Ohio State 3, Florida State 4, Washington 5, and the Oregon Ducks rounding out the top six. As we move now into the month of November, I know we're not there just yet. We have a couple more days. Halloween's upon us, but let's just put a bow on the month of October for a minute. As we move forward, if there's one thing we've learned this year, and this is takeaway number one, is that players are always going to be more important than plays, right? People have always said, well, you know, it's Jimmy's and Joe's over the X's and O's. I don't, I will never push back on that at all. I, I completely agree with that sentiment. Doesn't matter how good you are as a coach, but at the same time, if you don't have good players, it's going to be hard to win ball games. It just, it just is. I, I wish it wasn't. I wish there was some magic play that you could draw up and execute and nobody could stop it and you would beat every team you played, but that's not the case. However, however, Coaching is still as important as just about anything. And while players come and go, and we live in a very transient era of college football, players come and go, but coaches remain. And they are, without question, the most important part of a program's ability to compete. Start with the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, Lance Leipold, many of you have, have never been around Lance Leipold, never really covered Lance Leipold until he started to get hot last year at Kansas. Maybe some of you, a couple of our diehards, paid attention to what he did at Buffalo. Maybe a few people even paid attention to what he did at Wisconsin Whitewater. But this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. And he was going to the Hall of Fame prior to his arrival in Lawrence, Kansas. He's got six national championships, the D3 level. And if there's one thing you know about Division Three football, it's that the players, in some cases, are somewhat interchangeable. Some players, maybe the occasional few, can take over the game. We've seen great runs by Wisconsin Whitewater, Mountain Union, all these others. But the coaches, if you can coach at that level and elevate your team, then you can probably do it at Buffalo, and you can certainly do it at Kansas. Lance Leipold has been tremendous. If you look at where Kansas is right now, they used to be, uh, let's just call it what it is. They were at one point the worst Power 5 football team in America. And there have been moments of success, the Mangino era, there in the late 2000s, but those eras have been few and far between. 
And we just witnessed on Saturday Kansas beating a top 10 opponent at home for the first time since 1984. It's before I was born. And they're now bowl eligible in back-to-back seasons. An accomplishment that I think most people would have considered impossible in the years leading up to Lance Leipold's arrival. They're now, I believe, a legitimate contender in the Big 12. Now, we're talking about a team, guys, that had no more than three wins in a season from 2010 to 2021. It's crazy when you really think about that. And Lance Leipold, he's 59 years old, 12 and 9 since last season. Maybe he leaves. Maybe he gets offered a ton of money to go somewhere else. But my goodness, think about the job he's done in getting Kansas to where they're at, knocking off an Oklahoma team that had been terrific, and the turnaround that's now been completed. And to make things even sweeter, doing so with a backup quarterback. Because his all Big 12 preseason player of the year right now, that's Jalen Daniels, has been unavailable for the last few weeks. It's crazy, man. It's coaching. Lance Leipold and coaches all throughout the country, all throughout the country, there are coaches that maximize their talent. There are coaches that understand how to delegate responsibility to their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator and to be the CEO figurehead of the organization. Leipold's done it at Wisconsin-Whitewater. He's done it at Buffalo, and now he's doing it at Kansas. And this team is looking dead in the face of a 9-3, and possibly 8-4, and 10-2 season. All those are within reach, and it's pretty remarkable to see what he's been able to do. So I think takeaway number one, for those of you that are worried about, but maybe we'll never have the players to be able to compete at the highest levels of football. I ask you this, maybe you don't need them. If you have a coach that knows how to neutralize that talent gap, like Lance Leipold does. Uh, real quick, for those that don't remember, McRae, I have to just play the clip of you and Lance when, when Coach Leipold threatened to throw you in the ocean at a bowl game. It's too good not to play right here. Just to remind everybody how close you guys are and what he's done, what an incredible job done, he's done in Kansas. You referred to uh, Division Three football as uh, glorified intramurals, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, 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 you wanted to I throw me to, into the ocean. You, you yeah, quite literally threatened to pick me up and throw me into the ocean. <laughs> is what you threatened to do. Yeah, Coach wasn't real happy with me. We were calling the Bahamas Bowl. That was my first interaction with Coach Leipold. And I have since grown in admiration with how he runs a program, how he empowers his coordinators. And I'm not, I got to be honest, when he took the Kansas job, uh, part of me was sitting there thinking like, oh man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you can get it done there. I I really don't. Like you're a magician. You're a great, great coach. But I don't know if you can get it done there. It's just, that's a really steep hill to climb. And not only has he gotten it done, but he got it done in about two years. And now they just knocked off a top five team. Uh, top seven team, whatever they ended up being ranked last week. So either way, Lance Leipold's amazing. And coaches, guys, if there's one takeaway I have through the first two months of the season, a great, great coach can make the difference. Lance Leipold's proving that in Lawrence, Kansas. Takeaway number two, Oklahoma will be fine. They'll be fine, but they don't have time to sulk because we know what's coming up next week. Now, we have seen several Several Power 5 teams get beaten, rally, find their way to the playoffs, and then maybe even make some noise in the playoffs. If you look at the last two Oklahoma teams that have gotten to the college football playoffs, they each suffered losses in October. last two Oklahoma teams did it. In 2017, they lost to Iowa State. In 2019, they lost against Kansas State. Lost to both those teams in October, unranked foe, turned it around, ran the the table, and then found a way to get to the college football playoff. So all these things are very much within reach for Oklahoma. I'm not going to press panic, but we have to acknowledge that they've looked a little human. The UCF game didn't look great on either side of the ball. Herky-jerky offensively. Defense gave up some big plays. 
Didn't look great this past weekend. Outside of maybe the time between when they came back from the weather delay to the end of the first half, that was pretty much the best they looked. But other than that, man, they were outplayed by the Jayhawks from start to finish. And then now Danny Stutzman left the game. He's their linebacker, one of their best players. He's got an ankle injury, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not he's going to be able to play next week because you do not have time to be licking your wounds. Bedlam is going to be electric. Electric. They've played 117 times between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. It's in Stillwater. Oklahoma State has been on fire for the opportunity to get this game, get to this game with a record that is pretty dang impressive. Oklahoma State sitting at 6-2, and 4-1 and one on the conference. You think they're excited to send Oklahoma out a loser? And how about what Ollie Gordon's currently doing for Oklahoma State? They beat Cincinnati convincingly, 45-13. It was a complete domination. How's 292 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns? That's three consecutive 200-yard-plus performances and a total of 1,134 yards in the last five games. You heard that right. 1,134 yards for Ollie Gordon in the last five games. He, is he the best running back in college football? If he's not, find me someone that is because he's playing at an insanely high level right now. So Oklahoma, hey, disappointing performance. You've been here before. You got to get back on the horse and figure out a way to navigate the rest of the schedule unscathed. And for Oklahoma State, man, you have a golden opportunity to bring your arch rivals into your backyard and take care of business in the final Bedlam game currently on the schedule. Takeaway number three, let's keep it in the Big 12 with a bit of a Big 12 flavor. Is the Big 12 the most interesting conference ever? (laughs) Okay, I know I say that with a little bit of jokingness to it, but actually kind of starting to shape up that way. We spent the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season saying it's a two-horse race. It's really two teams. Everyone else kind of middling. Not so sold on kind of everybody else, but man, Texas and Oklahoma, those two guys are legit. And this race is a two-horse race, and they're going to rematch again. It's going to be in Dallas again. It's going to be at a different stadium this time because those are the only two teams I trust in the Big 12. That was three or four weeks ago. And if there's one thing we learned in October is that the Big 12 is everything but a two-team league. There is currently a five-way tie at the top of the Big 12. Four of those teams have games against one of the others next week. You got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. You got Texas and Kansas State. You look at how the Horns played last week without Quinn Ewers. It was not a pretty performance whatsoever. Now, great. Yeah, they beat. BYU convincingly and the scoreboard would indicate that it was a complete dismantling. But if you actually watch it, it really it really wasn't a great performance. Malik Murphy was a little shaky, a couple turnovers, finished strong as the game went along, but it wasn't it wasn't as easy as the final score might make you think. If you didn't watch it, for instance, if you if you looked at the scores, oh well, Texas smoked them. Yeah, but if you watch, it wasn't great in the red zone. There were just some things that were problematic. Well, in comes Kansas State, who just a couple weeks ago, we'd left for dead. They were playing against Oklahoma State. It was a Friday night, and we're sitting there and saying, oh, my goodness, this Kansas State team can't do anything. Well, they've now flipped the script the last couple weeks. (laughs) Of course, Chris Kleiman's always been a giant killer. Some of the wins he's experienced, he's beat Oklahoma multiple times, 2020, 2019, and 2022, won the Big 12 championship last year against TCU. But there have been some real dominant victories. I mean, real dominant victories, like how they played against Oklahoma State last year and Baylor last year. And those are some teams that the previous year went to the Big 12 title game. But we now are starting to see a Kansas State team that is heating up at the right time. They absolutely destroyed TCU a couple weeks ago. Then they handed Houston their first shutout loss since 2000. Okay. That is crazy when you think about it. To add extra flavor to what Kansas State is currently doing, 
the defense has been strong all year. That's that's not a huge surprise, but the offense had to sort a few things out. Will Howard early in the year struggled some with some turnovers. They didn't really have the Deuce Vaughn take over the game explosive playmaking weapon that they've relied on in recent years. So now they've started to incorporate a bit of a two quarterback system. And the running back trio of DJ Giddens, Phillip Brooks, and Treshawn Ward, they're starting to figure things out as well. Texas, like we've talked about already, they're going to have their hands full with Kansas State. They're really going to have their hands full with Kansas State. Oklahoma State started the season horribly. Remember, this was a team that got destroyed by South Alabama. Destroyed by South Alabama. Well, now they are in control of their destiny moving forward in the in the uh, Big 12. How about the fact that you also have an Iowa State team that has found some fire of late? They're 5-3, and 4-1 and one overall. Supposed to be a rebuilding year. They've won three in a row. And they welcome the Jayhawks to town next week. So the Big 12, is it, is it elite level football? I, I don't know if I can go that far. I, I will, I will admit that watching a lot of these teams that I just referenced, the ups and downs, the inconsistencies early on in the season, they're not what you like to see. But man, there's some teams heating up and there's some teams that have really figured it out and some coaches that have done some great, great work over the last three or four weeks to get them all now to November with a chance to potentially play their way into the Big 12 title game. So what went from being a two-team league and a two-horse race now is about five wide. And I wouldn't be shocked if any of those five found their way to Dallas for the Big 12 title game. Takeaway number four. Coming into October... There were a couple questions about Georgia. They, they hadn't really played anybody. They didn't look great against SEC competition in the early going. It was a little bit sloppy with how they played against South Carolina. So we were just kind of saying, hey, they'll, they'll figure it out. I don't think any of us, maybe there were some, that said, Georgia's just not the same. Throw them out. They're, they're not going to make it the distance this year. I, I certainly didn't feel that way. But we called the game against Kentucky and we sat down with Kirby Smart. And Kirby Smart and I have a really good relationship. We go back 15, 16 years. So maybe he's more candid with me than he is with, with the way he handles the podium press conference, right? He's maybe a little more defensive, a little more guarded in that situation. And he was very honest when talking with me when we did that game and talking with our crew. Our, our crew was Sean McDonough, Molly McGrath, and and we just kind of sat there and and he said, I, I really don't know this team at all. I, I I would like to, at least at this point, to have kind of figured out what makes them tick, have kind of figured out, all right, here's how we attack. Here's what we're good at. Here's where we can grow. He said, I'm trying so hard to kind of figure this team out and I haven't quite done it yet, but I know I'll get there. Like I'm going to get there. Usually by this point, four, five, six weeks in, I know what I got. He didn't know at that point. But if there's one thing we've learned over the last few weeks is that when Georgia has to ramp it up, they can ramp it up. They just crushed Florida 43-20 to 20 this past weekend. They've killed Florida the last three times they've played them. They beat them 42-20 and then 34-7. That's three wins by a combined 72 points. And it's the first time since the 1940s that Georgia has beaten Florida three straight times by 20-plus points. Kirby Smart has won six of the last seven against Florida. And outside of the first possession of the game, where Florida went down and scored immediately, they watched Georgia score 36 unanswered. And there was a seven-minute stretch there at the beginning of the, well, really the late, First quarter or so, Georgia scored a touchdown, right? Uh, pretty amazing, okay? Just a seven-minute stretch that included the following. Georgia's driving for a touchdown, take the lead 10-7. A fourth and short from their own 34 was stopped by 
the Bulldogs against the Gators. Uh, another Georgia touchdown immediately after that. Then there was a Florida fumble that led to another touchdown. It was 24-7. Then they blocked the Gators punt to for a safety to make it 26-7. That's seven minutes. All that happened over the course of a seven-minute span. Now, it's all, also the same team that, that barely beat South Carolina. Didn't look great in the process, especially in the first half. Didn't look good against Auburn on the road. Won those games by 10 and 7, respectively. And those teams aren't very good. But when they've had to have it, George has been able to flip the switch without any issues whatsoever. Their two best wins, Kentucky, they won by 38. Against an improving Florida team, they won that game convincingly by 23. If Georgia thinks you're good, you better be ready to go the distance with a heavyweight fighter. If they think you're okay, maybe they'll play to your level. But they're starting to figure out who they are, and they're going to be even more dangerous a week, two weeks, three weeks from now than they are right now because Carson Beck is looking more and more comfortable. The guy has played at a really high level all year long, but he's only improving as the weeks go along. Lad McConkey's getting healthy. Lad McConkie is finally healthy. Six catches, 135 in the score. They The defensive pass rush is starting to come on a little bit. They sacked Florida four times. There's a lot to feel good about this Georgia football team as we move forward in the season because there was a moment there. It's like, man, I don't know if Georgia's quite as good. I think they are, and I think the best is yet to come for the Georgia Bulldogs. Takeaway number five. Coming into October, it kind of felt like the same Oregon team. They can score. They're good. But when going gets tough, can they can they weather the storm in a hostile environment? Can they get the job done against a physical football team? These were all questions that I had probably coming into October. But after October, even though they lost the biggest game in the month, I believe that this Oregon team is absolutely capable of winning a national championship. The second time in a three-week span, they go on the road into a crazy hostile environment with an opportunity to make a statement. They didn't allow anything against Utah. They've destroyed, destroyed Utah's offensive sets. Bryson Barnes was totally unable to do what he was able to do against USC. He was just 15 of 29 for 136 and a couple picks. The Utah offense managed just 241 yards. It's obviously pretty impressive to see the Ducks playing as well as they are on that side of the ball. But that's who Dan Lanning is. I mean, Dan Lanning is going to get that defense playing at a high level. That was just a matter of time. Now you couple with how the defense is playing against how the offense is playing. And let's start with Bo Nix. I mean, he's 78% completion. 21 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. What more do you want? And to think too, if you look at the performance this past weekend, his numbers were pretty good, right? And that was... More than likely the best defense he's going to face all year. And two of those incompletions were perfect throws to Troy Franklin. <laughs> That's even more insane when taking all of those things into account. Now, the Pac-12 title game appearance is looking more and more likely as three of their next four games are in Autzen, including the finale against Oregon State. And you would imagine they probably have that one circled, knowing how things went last year against the Beavers there in Corvallis. So if you look at just how this Oregon team is playing, they went from being a bit of a question mark at the end of September to now being a team that I really believe can go the distance and win a national championship. But standing in their way is a team that's already beaten them, and it's takeaway number six. What's going on with the Washington Huskies? I, I, I can't figure them out because we watched the game against Oregon. The timely defensive stops on fourth down. The big play explosiveness. The consistency in the passing game. Keeping things a little off balance by handing it to Dylan Johnson and making sure that he runs the ball with great efficiency. A defense that had forced a bunch of interceptions 
even though the pass rush at that point hadn't really figured it out, I was really confident with Washington. I mean, really confident. Loved what I had seen from them at one point here on the show. I think we had them number one overall. And for good reason. Didn't feel like that offense was capable of being stopped. Felt like 2019 LSU. Well, since that Oregon game, it has not been very impressive. The offense that was at one point unstoppable needed a pick six to escape Arizona State 15-7. to And then this past weekend, I know it's on the road. It's never easy. You're playing in Palo Alto. You allow Ashton Daniels to throw for 367 and add 80-plus on the ground. Stanford's quarterback accounted for nearly, nearly 350 yards of offense. Or 450, excuse me, 450 yards of offense. He outdueled Michael Penix, who, albeit, was pretty solid, but did miss some throws. I mean, he's 21 to 38, 369, four touchdowns, had the pick. It just wasn't a real pretty performance. I don't know. It, now, they survived. You take it and you win, and it is what it is. But remember, I mean, if, what if, what if Stanford doesn't drop the pass? On a fourth down late, it just feels like the win against Oregon was as important a win as Washington's programs had in a really long time. But here they are kind of in the middle of the stretch as they get closer and closer to the finish line. I don't know. Look at the performances against Arizona, Arizona State, and Stanford. It's just hard to wrap your head around just what this team's capable of and how they're currently playing. Is it something that will pass? I certainly hope so. I'm not pressing the panic button. I can promise you that. I just want to see more consistency from Washington down the stretch because this month, the high of beating Oregon and the low of needing a pick six to beat Arizona State, that's about as big of a gap in performance as we've seen from just about any contender in college football. All right, you just named um, Oregon, Washington. You also brought up Texas and Oklahoma earlier. Obviously, all four of those programs are switching conferences. Right now, at the end of October, if you had to tell me I'm going to put my money on one of those four to make the playoffs and actually maybe maybe win a natty, who's it going to be? Win a national championship? I think. Oregon- well, let's just say make the playoffs. But if they make it, I think everybody – if they make the playoffs, they probably have a chance. But you have one of those four. Who is it going to be? Probably Oregon right now. I mean, it's. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. It's hard not to be. I, I know that that feels unfair. It feels wrong. But Oregon had plenty of opportunities against Washington to kind of put that game away. And, and they didn't. It was at their place. Now in a hostile environment that is no more, when you're playing a neutral site in the event in which they both get back to the Pac-12 title game and revenge is on the mind of the Oregon Ducks, I think they'll win the game based on how things are be- going right now. I mean, it feels like two teams, one's kind of just, you know, making their way and navigating throughout what's been a bit of an up and down stretch. The other feels like they're really ticked off and they're elevating. So I'd probably go with Oregon right now based on what we know. I mean, Quinn Ewers is not hurt, not healthy right now. They need him back in a big way. I don't even know if they can get this win this week against Kansas State. Oklahoma has come back to earth a little bit. Defense still has a few issues in the offense last week. Not real consistent. I do think their inability to be consistent running the football will at some point hurt them. So I'd probably take Oregon right now. I think they're probably the best suited to make a real run and to cause some problems for some teams in a playoff setting. Let's go to takeaway number seven. It's been a weird reversion to the mean all season long. Defense has been almost the calling card of a lot of high-level teams. You know, it's it's been strange because for a really long time, we'd always talked about, well, if you want to get in the playoff, you want to win a championship, you better be able to outscore them. You, you better be able to figure out a way to put 40 on the board because if you can't score 40, you can't win. That, that's been the narrative surrounding college football for the last 10 years. Well, if it becomes a shootout, if it becomes a shootout, you got to be able to keep up. Quarterback and wide receivers and offensive explosiveness better be able to keep up. But what if it never becomes a shootout? Because you have a defense like Ohio State, like Alabama, perhaps. I mean, defenses that 
are playing at an insanely high level, maybe the deep, maybe the offense could use a little bit of a go. But let's talk about Ohio State for a minute because they continue to do. Uh, I think they continue to win comfortably, right? In the last two weeks against Penn State and against Wisconsin, very comfortable wins for the Buckeyes. Never, never felt. I never felt threatened. For the Buckeyes. I know the game at one point this past Saturday was tied and it was close and it was, it was, you know, felt a little bit contested, but you could also kind of point to a couple mistakes that Ohio State made that led to that game being close. So that name, especially in the, it just never felt, I never felt like Wisconsin was going to win the game. And while Marvin Harrison is phenomenal. I mean, he's terrific. He had six more for 123 and a couple touchdowns. They were finally able to get a few things going on the ground. With Travion Henderson being back healthy, that's going to be really huge for him. He had 24 solid carries for buck 62. Had the game ceiling 33-yard touchdown, too, to kind of put the thing on ice. It, it, was, it was refreshing seeing them being able to run the football because that had been a point of contention. For Ohio State, they'd been averaging under four yards per carry coming into the game last weekend. That was 94th in college football. I mean, we all know where the offense's bread's going to be buttered. That's with Marvin Harrison. But you got to take some of the pressure off Kyle McCord. You got to take some of the pressure off the offensive line by just handing it off and being more efficient on the ground. And hopefully a a healthy Travion Henderson down the stretch will assist in that department. But do you really need that game-breaking, blow-it-open, score 40 offense now to win a championship this year? With so many teams playing high-level defense and some offenses that in some places are a little lethargic, can you win a game or win a championship with the defensive side this year? I happen to think you can. Now, it's going to get tougher. And Ohio State will have more challenges when they play against the likes of Michigan at the end of the year. Because we know Michigan can fill it up on the scoreboard. But against who is another question that we need to have answered. But at some point, I'd like to see maybe a little more offensively from Ohio State. But at the same time, man, I don't know if they need it with what they're doing on the defensive side. Takeaway number eight. The ACC took a couple hits in October. They still have a title contender, and the league from top to bottom is still in a pretty good spot. Now, felt like a couple weeks ago, maybe, what, 10 of their teams were in the top 25? I know that's an exaggeration. I, I get that. But I want to say like half, six, seven teams were all in the top 25 just a couple weeks ago. Now they're down to two, and the only two are Louisville and, and Florida State, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. Because you still have a championship. I'm not talking ACC championship. I'm talking national championship contender with the Florida State Seminoles. Okay, let's start with them because let's start at the top and kind of work our way down the ACC. Florida State is probably, if you look across the college football landscape, I know you do like the playoff predictors and and all these other metrics and, and analytics to assess who's going, who's not, and what percentage it is, likelihood that they get it. I, I don't know how those work. I That to me has always confused me. <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend to try to explain it. I, I can't. I, I don't know. But I just look at the schedule with what they have coming down the stretch. And I feel pretty confident that they're going to be heavily favored at Pitt. I feel pretty confident they're going to be heavily favored against Miami and against North Alabama. And I feel pretty confident with them going on the road and playing Florida that they're probably going to finish the season at 12 and 0. Not, I mean, I don't think it's a complete slam dunk, but it's real hard for me to envision a scenario where they lose down the stretch. So they're probably about as sure of a thing as just about anybody in college football for the college football playoff, because if they get to 12-0 and 0 and they lose to, say, Louisville in the ACC championship game, let's say Louisville's 11-2, and two, maybe they lose a game down the stretch, Florida State's sitting there 12-1 and one as conference champs or as conference runner-up, does a 12-1 and one Florida State get in against a 
11 and two Louisville, but if Louisville's 12 and two, 12 and one and they beat Florida state head to head, maybe they get in, what have you. I don't know. All I know is that Florida state will be a real healthy favorite against pretty much everybody they play. So I think at this point you can almost lock them in to a college football playoff berth, especially with that blowout win against LSU in week one that really elevates their quality and strength of schedule. The other teams, though, in the league, Louisville, a convincing and dominant victory against Duke this past weekend. I loved what I saw from them both along the offensive line. I love what I saw from Jawar Jordan running the football. He's looking healthy again. No, the one time Louisville lost this year, Jawar Jordan had two carries for 11 yards because he hurt his hamstring. Louisville now at full strength, or at least close to full strength, is in a really good position to run the table as well. They're in a really good spot. Part of the reason why I chose Louisville to go to the ACC championship game in the preseason is because I liked their schedule. Well, seeing how they're playing, plus the fact that it's a manageable schedule, makes me like the chances of Louisville getting to the ACC title game even more. They're in cruise control and should be in really, really good shape, assuming they don't have the letdowns like they had a couple weeks ago by turning the football over against Pitt and what led to them ultimately losing the game. But how about Georgia Tech? Georgia Tech is now 4-4 four and four overall, 3-2 and two in the ACC. They continue to be one of the most polarizing teams in the country. Their best is up here. Their worst is down here. I can't figure them out to save my life. You can lose to Bowling Green, but you can beat Miami and North Carolina. You can lose to Boston College and take care of business the way you did against two teams ranked in the top 20. I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand why this team ebbs and flows the way they do, but man, they're dangerous. How about Virginia Tech? If you look at where this program was after Brent Pry's first season, just three and eight overall, it was not pretty at the start of the year. Just one and three in their first four games. Well, now they've flipped it and somehow found something where they've dominated, dominated three of their last four games. And they completely routed Syracuse on Thursday night. They led at one point in that game 30-3. to three. That was at halftime. They're doing a lot of different things running the football, and they have some things in the special team games, and Brent Price defense notched eight sacks into safety. So a pretty good place to start if you're Virginia Tech. They have a great opportunity now to move forward with bowl eligibility as a real realistic outcome. How about the fact that Miami, yeah, they got the bowl eligible, but they needed overtime to beat a two and six Virginia team. How about the fact that the perennial bell cow in the league and the Clemson Tigers are two and four in the ACC fresh after the loss against North Carolina State last weekend? The ACC definitely took some hits. Duke lost a couple games. You've had North Carolina lose a couple games. But there's even Louisville, one of their championship contenders, they lost a game to one of the worst teams in the league. The league has remarkable parity. Anyone can get anyone on any given Saturday. It's just amazing, though, to see where this league is at and how it went from being really, really deep to kind of cannibalizing itself. And now there's really two teams that can elevate the rest of the league, at least at the moment. The... Takeaway I have here at number nine is a fascinating one. The Big Ten West is awesomely average. I'm, I say that with real, real genuine appreciation for what I'm seeing from the Big Ten West. The offenses in the league. You have three different offenses in the division that are ranked in the 100s in total offense, Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota. And they're all tied for first in the division. <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. It, it doesn't, I don't know how, but here we are. Let's start with Nebraska. They dismantled Purdue with relative ease. They've now won three consecutive for the first time since 2016 and are one win away for their first bowl trip since 2016. Now, the defense has been solid, with the exception of their loss to Michigan. They're averaging just 10 points per game. Just 10 points per game allowed against Illinois, Northwestern, and Purdue. 
So Matt Rule is doing a great job with a pretty dicey team that's lost a bunch of starters to injury and a bunch of starters to just performance replacement, but it's pretty mind-blowing. How about the fact that Northwestern, the interim coach David Braun, they've done a pretty good job steadying group that went 1-11 last year. And we see Pat Fitzgerald fired in the, the offseason. Well, Brendan Sullivan has come in and started to figure things out at quarterback. And he most recently went 16-23 for 265 and two touchdowns, plus 56 on the ground, and now have Northwestern within striking distance of a bowl trip as well. They beat Maryland this past weekend. Braun was the North Dakota State defensive coordinator this time last year, and no one would have thought this team was going to do better than, say, 1-11, 2-10. They've done a pretty dang good job and have a real shot of getting to the postseason, and that's just the beginning. Iowa, I can't figure them out whatsoever. Minnesota, I can't figure them out at all. So the Big Ten West is awesomely average, where everyone can kind of keep up with each other and keep winning games 12 to 9. Should be pretty fun to watch on the stretch, but I will be praying for the winner of the Big Ten West to see what happens to them when they play in the Big Ten title game. Takeaway number 10, and this is our final one here of the day. I really don't know who the best one-loss team is. Do you guys know? It's a real question. Because if we're going to go based off of I test the best one loss team is probably Oregon. If we're going to go based off of win, the best win is probably Oklahoma over Texas. The second best win is probably Texas over Alabama. That was obviously on the road. So maybe you give that one extra credit. Penn state might have the best defense among the group. Are there others that need to be included as well? Do we need to add Ole Miss to that group? What about Missouri? Missouri has a chance, and we'll find out this week with Missouri, but where should they be in the one-loss conversation? How about Louisville? Their one loss, I know people say, well, that's a bad loss to, to pit, and I don't disagree, but I can watch and say – you know what, it was kind of rainy and nasty, and it was just a weird day the week after they played and beat Notre Dame. Is it – Louisville's still pretty good, but, I mean, I, all those things are fair. But I can't recall a time in which it's more difficult to assess and rank Team 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 30, whatever, all the way through the one-loss candidates right now. Now, if we're going to be a prisoner of the moment, we're absolutely going to put Oregon at the top of the list. That's who I'd have. They just went on the road and beat Utah in about as convincing a fashion as one can imagine. Offense, defense, completely and totally dominant. That did not look like Utah. Anyone that's watched Utah the last handful of years, you know that was a very uncharacteristic performance. And it was because of just how good Oregon was. So Oregon should be the highest ranked one loss team at the moment. The second highest ranked one loss team should be Oklahoma. You're going to say, Greg, hang on a second. They have to drop. If you look at the AP poll, they dropped four spots. How can you not drop them more? Because they beat the team that I would have right behind them in the Texas Longhorns. And while I think Oklahoma's really human, really human, they won the head-to-head -head against Texas. And I have, to, I have to value that. I have to care about that. Then, if you want to go one step further, Texas won the head-to-head -head against Alabama. If they played that game again, would the result be the same? Not without a healthy Quinn Ewers, I don't think. But either way, I still think that Texas can and will be a huge factor as we move forward in the college football world. So they would have to be the third highest ranked one loss team, then Alabama, and then you can get to Penn State. Alabama has better resume than Penn State at the moment. And I think Bama 
for all intents and purposes, is more complete, even though they are inconsistent offensively. I think they're more consistent than what we get from Penn State on a week-to-week basis. So who's the best one-loss team in your eyes? Answer us at Always CFB. I think you can make a really, really strong case for every single one-loss team. That's within reason, right? I'm not asking you to put you know, random run-of-the-mill G5 one-loss teams up there. I'm talking about teams from the Power Five that can legitimately go the distance. How would you have them ranked? Tell us and let us know. We look forward to seeing your answers. Is Missouri the most surprising one-loss team? Or is it Ole Miss? Or is it Louisville? Who's your most surprising? Oklahoma? No. I I think I had Louisville in the ACC championship game. Yes, you did. So I... They are not as surprising to me as some of the others. The most surprising is Missouri. We had Ole Miss ranked number 13 in our preseason poll. People said it was way too high. We had we had them ranked six, seven spots ahead of Tennessee. People said that we're, that we're nuts, all these other things. So we were pretty right on Ole Miss too. I'm not like pounding the, you know, the table. There's plenty we got wrong as well. I did not anticipate Missouri being in this situation and looking as good as they've looked. Now, I thought Missouri had a chance to be improved from last year, but not sitting there here entering November with one loss. Uh, The Kansas State win is amazing. The way they beat uh, some of the teams they've beaten so far, the way they battled against LSU was pretty impressive as well. And I think a lot of people have a ton of respect for LSU and people will look at that. Well, it was a 10-point margin of victory for the Tigers, for the LSU Tigers. Well, Missouri actually had the ball driving to take the lead and potentially win if not for a pick six there at the very end to put the game on ice. So the biggest surprise for sure amongst the one-loss teams is Missouri. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We have so appreciated how much the numbers have grown here on this platform. We appreciate you guys for telling your friends. The word of mouth has been massive for us as well. So if you could... Leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're on. Leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. We read those and we see those and we really, really appreciate them. You're also here on the ESPN YouTube channel. Hit that thumbs up button and we will continue to provide great content the rest of the way. Colin Cowherd will be on the show here on Wednesday to help us break down the initial college football playoff rankings. Talk about how he's maybe adjusted his impressions of some of the teams we've seen this season in the first two months of the year. That'll do it for all of us here at Always College Football. For Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.